Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and you are listening to Keeping the Faith. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. There is a necessary dying, and then Jesus breathes again. Very little grows on jagged rocks, so be ground, be crumbled. So wildflowers will come up where you are. You have been stony for too many years. Try something different. And that one word, surrender. Hey everybody, Ronnie back with you this week. Hoping to complete what I started uh, the previous podcast episode. This is part two of 654321 based on Matthew chapter 11. And I really appreciate those of you who are back to my podcast and downloading once again, listening once again. I'll keep this content up to date on the weeks going forward. It's a dreary Monday here on Florida's Emerald Coast as we await the landfall of Tropical Storm Fred, but all is well, and I hope you're doing well and staying safe out there. And again, this is part two of 654321 with a lot of emphasis on the three, two, and one. Thanks for listening. Mimi Schwartz is the executive editor for a magazine called Texas Monthly. She contributes regularly to magazines such as Vanity Fair and The New Yorker, The New York Times, and all those leading literary lights of the age. She is a two-time National Magazine Award winner and the author of Two really interesting books. Power Failure is her first title. It's a book about the collapse of the Enron Corporation, which was based in Houston, Texas. Some of you will remember that debacle. Some of you may have been injured by that debacle. I don't know. Her second title is the one I want to tell you about briefly today. It is called Ticker, The Quest to Create an Artificial Heart. And it's really a history of heart surgery, and it is fascinating. Today, there are more than 500,000 heart stent procedures in this country annually. Now, that is where a tiny device that resembles the spring inside of a ballpoint pen is inserted into a clogged heart artery to maintain blood flow and to prevent cardiac arrest. This is now considered, I love these medical terms, minimally invasive. There are another half million open heart surgeries performed in the United States every year. Bypass surgery, we call it. These procedures are invasive. Surgeons crack you open. They place you on a machine to keep you alive. They take out your most vital parts, repair them, and put you back together again. A million interventions like these and not included are 850,000 angioplasties, 500,000 heart ablations, 
225,000 pacemakers, 200,000 defibrillators. It seems we are all bound to have a heart procedure at some point in our lifetimes. And that is one of Swartz's points. Today, heart surgery is remarkably routine. Incredibly effective. Statistically safe. All while being relatively new. Open heart surgery did not become a medical intervention until after 1955. Because only then did we have the technology to make it possible. And even then it was regarded as experimental. It would not become routine for some 20 years. And then in 1967 there was the first heart transplant. 5,000 people every year get a heart transplant. And in 1982, this man right here with his wife, Una, Barney Clark was the recipient of the first artificial heart. It overtook the news for months and months, it seemed. And today, believe it or not, there are some 2,000 people living, breathing, and walking about this world with a synthetic, scientifically crafted pump inside their chest. It is darn near miraculous the progress that has been made. And you may not believe me when I say this, but artificial heart replacement at some point in the future, while it could never be described as minimally invasive, will one day become as routine as stent placement. But back to Mimi Swartz and this first recipient of an artificial heart, Barney Clark, There was a stigma associated with heart surgery for the longest time. People were afraid of it. And it came to its zenith with Mr. Clark and Mrs. Clark because she expressed so clearly what the biggest fear of heart surgery was for decades. Any guesses on what that stigma might be? Fear of dying? No. The unknown repercussions of putting lab-engineered parts inside a human body? No. Barney Clark's wife, Una, voiced the most pressing concern that beyond death and beyond the medical ethics of it all, she was afraid that after the transplant, her husband would no longer have the ability to love She brought this up repeatedly to the doctors and to her family. And Swartz says that those first families going through heart surgery all expressed the same concern. If you take out my loved one's heart, you will take away all of his emotions. You will take away all his feelings. He will no longer or she will no longer be themselves. Una Clark's apprehension is so insightful. Granted, it's not rooted in any kind of scientific understanding or reasoning, but it is telling. It tells the tale of how we associate the heart with the deepest expression of who we are. Now, of course, I'm not talking about that 10-ounce muscle inside of your chest, something Else, Mimi Swartz has taught me, your heart is 10 ounces. 
The only thing keeping you upright is smaller than a good T-bone steak. But we speak of the heart as our identity, don't we? Our self. We associate the heart with our real being, our spiritual, our emotional existence. Don't we all use heart in that context? We say things like, my heart just wasn't in it. That doesn't mean your heart heart stopped beating for a while. It means you didn't have the will or the drive. She broke my heart. Did your heart suddenly shatter into multiple pieces? No, but it felt that way. You can have a hungry heart, according to Bruce Springsteen. Your heart can go on, sang Celine Dion. Apparently, persevering through the worst of experiences, even the sinking of the Titanic. There are hearts of darkness, said Joseph Conrad. There are telltale hearts. Thank you, creepy Edgar Allan Poe. There are hearts of gold, Mr. Neil Young. And according to even Billy Ray Cyrus, there are achy, breaky hearts. There are cheating hearts, hearts left in San Francisco, Hearts that are wild, brave, crazy, and blessed. You can be young at heart. You can know something by heart. You can have a fainting heart. You can have a heart of stone. You can be, have your heart located in your throat instead of in your sternum. Your heart can be worn on your sleeve. Your heart can be heavy, cold, or bleeding. All these different ways we use the word. All these metaphors to speak of our deep inner mechanics. And it's always been this way. The ancient Greeks, we borrow their word, they spoke of the heart as the cardia. It means the core, the center. They also called the town square of a town the cardia, the center of all activity. And before them, our spiritual ancestors, the Hebrews, in their language, heart is leb. It means to and fro, or back and forth. But not just that. When the Hebrews used that word, they were speaking of your motor. Not just your physical motor. Your drive. What is it that makes you do the things that you do? What is it that drives you? What is your engine? And that brings me back to finishing what I started last Sunday. The talk last Sunday was 654-321. If you weren't here, you'll have to go back and listen to that. Six months, five conditions, four triggers. That's my story of 2021 so far. But that was just the way of getting to the 321. Because our experiences are different. And our lives are different. But we're all going to get to the 321. We're all going to face things in our life that undo us. We're all going to face things in life that knock us off our game. We're all going to face things in life that pull back the curtain on our vulnerabilities. That reveal our weaknesses. That show us that maybe the way we've been living and the way we've been doing is no longer sustainable. And when you get to that point, the three, two, one is this. You can react in one of three ways, I said last week. You can deny it. 
You can fight it, or you can learn from it. And then we have one of two choices. The two. We can keep trying to live life, if you can call it living, our way. Or, we can, in the words of Jamal al-Din Rumi, try something different. And it brings us to the one. Here are Rumi's words, a poem that is eight centuries old. There is a necessary dying, and then Jesus breathes again. Very little grows on jagged rocks, so be ground, be crumbled, so wildflowers will come up where you are. You have been stony for too many years. Try something different. And that one word, can you bring yourself to say it? Surrender. Meister Eckhart, the German monk and pastor and mystic from the Middle Ages, said, There is only one spiritual discipline. Only one. And it's not how many hours you can pray, how much you can give to the church, how many Bible verses you can memorize, creeds that you can recite, orthodoxies that you can prove. In the old high German, he called it Gelassenheit. It's an ambitious word. It translates to English, serenity. Acceptance. Surrender. And the more I read our oldest and most reliable spiritual guides, the more I contemplate the words and life of Jesus, the longer I live my own life. I come back to this one word, this one thing, this perennial wisdom for the ages. Surrender. That is the something different to try. That is the one spiritual discipline. This is, to quote Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. This is the only path forward for anyone who is seeking peace, a life of love, a few fleeting moments of contentment in this insane asylum that we call our world. You are going to have to let it go. And when I say it, I mean everything. Keeping the Faith is brought to you without ads or commercial interruption of any kind, except for this one invitation. I have friends who are inspired by what they hear from Keeping the Faith, and those friends support my work. But you can support this podcast as well by buying me a coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is a tiny little link or you can throw a few bucks into my tip jar and keep me busy behind the counter serving up the best episodes I have to offer. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash McBrayer and you can easily and securely donate to the cause. You can also go to my website, ronniemcbrayer.org and click on podcast. You will find several ways to lend a hand and you can also choose your favorite listing platform, be it Apple, Podbean, or Spotify so that you will never miss a single life-changing, day-making, death-defying episode. Thank you for being a regular listener. You are going to have to resign from that false place of employment that you think you hold 
of managing and running your own life. Some people think they can manage the world. (laughs) Others of us are not quite as delusional and think we can only manage ourselves. And control is an illusion. You control very thing, very few things in your life. And the longer you hold on to the neurosis of thinking you are controlling something, the less content you are going to be. It is about surrender. And if quoting Sufi mystics and German pastors from the Middle Ages makes you a little nervous, listen to what Jesus had to say. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He said to his disciples, abide in me, rest in me, and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will save it. You cannot become my disciple without giving up. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the ground and dies, it will remain alone, but in its death it will produce plentiful harvest of new life. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it. Jesus said to his disciples, you see things from a human point of view, not from God's. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? And our translations say, and lose your own soul. The best translation is, what if you gain the whole world and lose your own self, your own being, your own existence? I find it curious that we, who are most vigorous in our profession of faith in Jesus, are often the most resistant to anything that resembles surrender, giving in. Or just humbly accepting reality. Our society is probably the most anti-surrender. The most stubbornly individualistic. The most defiantly concerned with individual freedom. That should Jesus show up today. And make the same demands that he made of his first disciples. We would roast him on social media unmercifully. We would cancel him as quickly as he arrived. We would gossip about him in our Bible studies and our prayer meetings and wonder what happened to such a nice young man who had started out so well. As they wash up his blood from the street where he had been assassinated for the things that he said. And if you don't believe that about our world today, you're not paying attention. You must give up your own way, Jesus said, and it is replaced in this country by, you can't tell me what to do. 
We are reaping in our greater society the bitter crop of selfishness and egocentric living. No one will give an inch. No one is willing to see things from a different point of view. Opinions are calcified. Beliefs, no matter how trivial, become entrenched. Everyone lives in an echo chamber of their own making, unwilling to entertain anything that requires reconsideration, humility, compromise, or letting go of position or power. It's no wonder that Jesus doesn't have a chance among us. Everything He said, did, and models runs in the opposite direction of how we have ordered our lives. Surrender? (laughs) That's only for the weak. That's only for the helpless. Meek and lowly of heart. Not me. You can leave that to Jesus. I'll do things my way. I took a little break from this talk this week. Oh, the timing was perfect. You start putting thoughts like this together and sometimes you get away from your own thoughts and away from yourself and away from the computer screen. And so I went to lunch. I went to lunch at my favorite little local spot. It's a little country restaurant, country cooking restaurant. It's called Sweet Southern in Freeport. It's owned by Tammy Henderson. Some of you know Tammy. And man, it is good. Nothing in there is good for you. But that's not the point. They mix up the menu every day, but you can always count on something battered, lathered, and fried if you want it. And she's got things like uh, turnip greens, corn casserole, chicken livers, and gizzards. My timing was pretty good. I was standing there in line, and there in front of me was this ancient couple, and I'm not being judgmental. And my first thought was, well, there's Cindy and I in 40 years if we live that long really my first thought. They were just precious. And uh, they're stooped and small and he's got a cane and she's got the checkbook, you know. And she's looking through the glass, getting ready to make her order and she says, uh, I'll have the fish and some hush puppies and he'll have, <laughs> he'll have the dark meat chicken. And he kind of pivots up on his, finds himself. Pivots up on his, on his cane and says, ah, 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 chicken tenders, chicken tenders for me. I have the chicken tenders. And it was a scandal. She went, oh, kind of clutched her pearls for a minute. What? You never eat the chicken tenders? Why? You always eat a leg. Why do you change your mind? And he said, I kid you not, here I'm working on this sermon. He says, why don't you quit bossing me? Uh, I laughed out loud. Of course, he didn't hear me. Neither one of them could hear thunder. You could hear it all over the restaurant. Everybody's going, what is going on over there? Why don't you quit bossing me? It's true. We all feel that way about everybody. You ain't the boss of me. I mean, it's from the preschool to the retirement home. It's our culture. It's the water we drink. We don't want to be told what to do. 
We don't want to be managed. We don't want to be controlled. We don't want to let go of anything. Right? It's, our nat- it's not just human nature. It is uniquely an American thing. And we might be the greatest country in the world, but boy, have we got a blind spot when it comes to this stuff. Because it keeps us so stubborn. It keeps us from changing our minds. And as it has been said many times, if you can't change your mind, you can't change anything. Anything. And here's Jesus calling us to try something different. To surrender. And if we can do that, just look at what awaits us. This unforced rhythm of grace we read last week. And all these great translations today. This effusive, free-flowing life. Not something we learn as much as just something we fall into sync with. We get in sync with the way of Jesus. As the old transition, translation said, take His yoke upon you. Y-O-K-E, not Y-O-L-K. Yoke. Now, we don't know what a yoke is because we're not farmers. Jesus' first listeners knew what he was talking about. A yoke. Think uh, of a horse collar, not an illegal football tackle. It's a collar that went on a horse or a mule. A yoke went on an oxen's neck. And it would pull a plow or pull a wagon. And sometimes you would put two animals together. Farmers used to chain the animals together. And it wasn't uncommon for one of those animals to be older and smarter and wiser and stronger. And you put the dumb animal, the young animal, the more rebellious animal with the older wise one. So that it would learn to do it the right way. What a great picture that is. Jesus says, you want a light and easier life? Would you like a little peace? Are you running on red? Aren't you tired? Aren't you sort of fed up with the way things are going in your life? And if that's you, then come here. Get in the yoke with me. I'll pull the weight. I'll bear the burden. And you'll learn to walk with me. You'll learn see how I do it. And if that's not grace, there's no grace to be found in the world. As Anna said in her reading, this loving Christ who offers us all the relief that we could stand if we would have it. But it will require easing your grip and doing things differently. It sort of comes down to the old revivalist invitation. I used to hear them all the time when I was a kid. Those fire-breathing preachers, you know. But they always gave the same invitation, and it's a good one. They would say, is anybody here ready to give their heart to Jesus? That's what Jesus is asking for. Well, that might change me. I might not be myself. Good. We could all stand a little improvement in that area. We could all let go a little more. We could all be a little more pliable. A little more teachable. 
and that is grace. Let me finish with words from the late Brennan Manning, spiritual hero of mine. He died in 2013, famous for his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. His last book, his memoir called All is Grace. These are his words. I have been a priest, and I have been an ex-priest. I have been a husband, and an ex-husband. I have amazed crowds of thousands one night, and been drunk, unable to stand for days thereafter. I've been an addict for years. Sober for a season, and then an addict again. I've shattered every one of the Ten Commandments six times Tuesday, and if you believe that sentence is for dramatic effect, it isn't. Still, with what strength I have left, as always, I will point to the God who is too good to be true. My message unchanged for more than 50 years is this. God loves you unconditionally just as you are and not as you should be because none of us are as we should be. You have been listening to Keeping the Faith, the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at RonnieMcBrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. Thanks to Shutterstock Incorporated, located in New York City's Empire State Building, no less, for producing and licensing my theme music. Bobby Rains provides recording and technical expertise. Tim Riles created the Keeping the Faith logo and artwork. And Land Sunshine on My Shoulder Crow is credited with any and all photography. And as always, Toby and Mo, the two small wonder dogs that run my home, assisted with all editing. I'm Ronnie McBrayer. This has been Keeping the Faith, and I thank you for listening.